0: Welcome and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. Our senior pastor, Dean Hunter, shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to a Quite familiar passage for many churchgoers, Matthew chapter number six, tucked right in the middle of the famous, or for those who don't like long preaching, the infamous Sermon on the Mount. What's considered the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, partly because Jesus preached it, also because it's three chapters long, which tells me that good messages must be long. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing the great theologian Mark Lowry, <laughs> who I don't really care for personally, but I, no, I love him in case you do. Um, I had his mom for psychology at, at Liberty. And um, it was like having him because they look the same, they talk the same, they kind of act the same, which is different. But because um, he's a boy and she's a lady. But. Um, I heard him say one time, and I think he was just bitter at church or preachers or God, and he said, you know, most preachers could preach in uh, 15 minutes what they preached in an hour if they only studied. And I thought, that sounds like something a singer would say. (laughs) Um, I think that doesn't qualify with Jesus. I think he has a lot to say. In three chapters, he teaches what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and covers a lot of ground. Now, I'm not in any way comparing my long sermons to the Sermon on the Mount, or comparing myself to Jesus, just in case anybody was thinking that. But tucked away in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, I think is probably some of the most powerful words that he ever spoke about his will for a person's life. Certainly his will for a believer's life. Of course, he knows he's not going to be here very long when he's on earth. He's already started his three-plus-year ministry. He knows that his time and his days are numbered. He knows his time with his disciples is limited. And of course, anything Jesus says is worth hearing. But certainly this sermon was a message to the heart of his believers, of his followers. Verse 33 is the most familiar of these verses, and we'll cover that. But I want us to stand this morning as we honor God's Word and read, I'm going to read verses 24 through 33, conclude with verse 33, which is really kind of the foundation of the thought today. But verse 33, just while I'm getting us ready, would be insignificant without verse 24 and Jesus starts this paragraph, if you will, of text by reminding his followers on the sermon, at the Sermon on the Mount and many others who are not yet followers that no man can serve two masters. A fundamental principle that will change your life and mine. This will save me five minutes of preaching later because it's in my notes. Once a man or woman realizes that you can only be a slave to one master, it eliminates a lot of stuff in your life. It makes a lot more decisions easy in your life. When I have one master and one alone, it takes care of a lot of other decisions. I used to tell our students, Make some decisions now. Make your mind up now about some things, whether that means write it down or write it on your heart and in your mind. I will do this, I won't do that, period. Because it's biblical, because I am trying to be obedient to God's word and his leadership, so that when the situation approaches, I've already made that decision. I don't have to stop, I don't have to think about it, I don't have to pray about it, by the way, Christians, there's some things in, in life that we don't have to pray about. It's already been settled. It's God's word. doesn't have anything to do with what we feel about it. So make some decisions. So what's that got to do with, it has everything to do with verse 24. No man can serve two masters. He will either, he'll hate the one and love the other, he says, or he'll hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, everybody here has used mammon this week in a, in a conversation, I'm sure, But it it really means stuff. It means riches. It means stuff you can hold on to. Things that are valuable. You can't serve God and riches. Therefore, he says, I say to you, because of that truth, take no thought for your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Is not life more than meat? I, I have to be reminded of that sometimes. And the body more than raiment? Behold, he says, the birds, the fowls of the air. They don't work. They don't sow. Neither do they reap nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit, one inch to your life's timeline? So why take thought for your raiment or your clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work, they don't toil, neither do they spin. but yet even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or clothed like one of these. Wherefore, if God clothed the grass of the field, which today is here and tomorrow is not, some of us saw that in our grass in the last week or so, shall he not much more clothe you O you, O ye of little faith, talking to disciples, therefore take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Verse 32, this is Jesus talking. For after all these things, what shall I eat, what shall I drink, what shall I wear? These are the things that the pagans, the Gentiles, the lost people worry about. Y'all Y'all good? For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things you ever wanted in life shall be added unto you. No, all these things, these necessities, the food, the clothes, the water, all these things will be added unto you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Pray today, we'll have listening ears, listening heart, to certainly not my words, but to your word. May your Holy Spirit do a work in our life, not just for graduates who are starting a new chapter in their life, but for every believer here who's been called to be salt and light wherever we go. Whatever we do, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. I want to talk on a very simple subject, yet vast subject, knowing God's will. I remember being in college especially, where I was at a Christian school where everybody was Christian and everybody was perfect. But we still had Spiritual Emphasis Week. And that was kind of to get most of them that weren't there, there, and those, anyway. I remember as a young adult, high, late high school young adult, anytime there seemed to be a sermon, uh, a, a revival sermon, or some kind of, especially in Spiritual Emphasis Week, it was like, I remember a time in my life where the heaviest question on my shoulders was how can I know God's will for my life? Now, there's preachers who have preached it for 50 years, but there was a time where I feel like, and maybe it was just in my life, everywhere I turned, somebody was talking about, what's God's will for your life? How do you know God's will for your life? Today, I believe that question is still one of the most prominent questions in every Christian's life is, what is God's will for my life and how can I know it? Now, the problem is, just like in my life, it may be in yours, the problem is we have wrongly identified or defined what God's will is. When we ask, what is God's will for my life, we're asking, what does God want me to do for a living? Don't, get, don't, don't lose me. We're asking, who am I supposed to marry? What college am I supposed to go to? Am I supposed to go to college? Now would be a good time to take a time out and talk about life after high school, but I'm not your parents. But not everybody needs to go to college and get in debt $100,000 and get out and can't find a job or a job you like. Some people need to go build <laughs> or plumb or electrocute. No. <laughs> I love Mike Rowe, by the way. And uh, if you know him, Dirty Jobs guy, he's got a foundation. Um, A lot of people need to go to a trade school or go into a trade. We need you. And um, I'll stop. But sometimes we, I believe, we misidentify what we're really asking or what we should be asking. Yes, we should ask God, where should I go to college? Yes, we should ask God, what job should I take? Yes, we should certainly ask God, what, if I'm a girl, and I'm not, but if I'm a girl, what boy or man I should marry, and vice versa. We certainly should be asking God those things. But I think when we really dig down to what Jesus is saying, the question is really a different, if you will, defined question of, God, what's your will for my life? I know as a pastor, as a full-time pastor who went to Bible college and that's somewhat all I've ever done as a profession in my adult life, I know what oftentimes happens is people in the church have this misperception of what responding to God's will is. The only preachers and missionaries respond to God's will. Once again, we have misdefined what we're really asking or what we should be asking. I believe in this text we see biblically what God's will is for every person's life. I so, well, that's that's simple. That can't be true. And if you're thinking that, or if I'm thinking that, it's because. You think, everybody relax. We, once again, wrongly define the question. And what we're really asking, in a carnal way, I believe, is we're we're walking into God's office, and he's got a crystal ball in front of him, and we're saying, God, show me who I'm going to marry. And we want to look into God's crystal ball and see, him or her. Y'all with me? I'm immediately going to a mom story where she went into Mother Roberts. <laughs> some of you, some of y'all know Mother Roberts used to be open. Yeah, that's the old ones laughing. And every woman that ever went in there wanted to know, who am I going to marry? And my mom went in there because she was very spiritual. And there's some women in this room that I believe were there too, or not at the same time, but shortly after they had the next appointment. And my mom asked the question, who am I going to marry? And Mother Roberts said, a man in a uniform. And what woman doesn't want to marry a man in a uniform? And my mom, I remember telling, she might have made up because you made up half her stories, but she told later, like the next day, Somehow she was introduced to a man, a mailman. <laughs> and she's trying to connect the dots. He wears a uniform. It's got to be him. Fortunately, she didn't marry the mailman. Well, I don't know. Unfortunately, she married somebody worse. But anyway, um, <laughs> a lot of times we think that's, that's what we're really asking. God, show me this person. And, I, and I'm not saying it's wrong because as a youth pastor, I, I'd preach and I'd yell at him. Don't you be marrying lost people. Don't you be dating lost people. He's useless. I wouldn't say it to their face, you know, but there's some dads that at least ought to be saying amen and just looking at me funny. My job was to deter them from being married ever. (laughs) We had a rule and now it, it really didn't work. So now it's in my family. We'll see how that works out. I want us to look at this text and look at, and I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying God's will, but I think it can be simple enough for us that if we grasp these couple truths, it really shapes our life. And it's not just for these 18 to 20 year olds, it's for all of us, the 40 year old, the 50 year old, the 60 year old who still wants to not only know God's will, but do God's will. And it applies to all of us. I think the first thing we see is that God's will is for us to seek him, to seek him. We know Jeremiah 29, many of us that's been in church at verse 13, you shall seek me and you shall find me when you search for me with your whole heart. I use that passage because uh, the the word seek really means to search. It means to inquire. Uh, We see that in the text that we just read. In verse 33, the word seek is there, that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. And this word doesn't just mean to go looking for, it means to search, it means to inquire or to endeavor. It has this idea of a plot. Like we're gonna create a way. And it's not in any way saying that we can know God by developing some algorithm. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is we devote ourselves to knowing God to seeking God, to finding out who God is. And we'll look at that in just a second. Seek God. I think there are a couple truths that we can look at in this idea of searching or seeking God. And I, and I want to say this, and, and I got a lot on my mind for, that would apply. And I kind of want to just stop and talk for a while, if I, but I, I can't. There's a lot of people, there are a lot of people seeking God, not in the manner in which Scripture is telling the believer to seek God. There are a lot of people in our families, in our churches, that are looking for God, or they're looking for something. They're looking for God for peace. They're looking for God. For security for their own personal security. Unfortunately, maybe because some American churches they're looking for God for their personal prosperity. Amen. Yes. Well, if you want to be this and this and this, then you, you need a relationship with God. There's a there are a lot of people, I believe this. You you heard back in the you used to hear this that there's a, a God-sized hole in your heart. I don't really have a verse for that but I know what people mean. I believe how we can biblically teach that is that God created you and God created you in a way where you want to know your creator. I believe God created us with a desire to have a relationship with the the creator. I believe that teaches biblically. And maybe that's what people mean when they say there's a God-sized hole in your heart. But I believe there's a lot of people making some drastic mistakes in their life because they're looking for peace that only God can provide. They're looking for the gifts that only God can provide, the security. We sang about that a second ago. The peace that comes with knowing I'm his and he is mine and this world is not my home and that I'm just a pilgrim passing through. The only God in a relationship with his son can provide that comfort, that peace, that assurance. But people are looking for it. And, and there's an epidemic in our country. This is, this is not new where relationships are the so-called cure that people are looking for. And it starts very young. It starts young. Where boys and girls are having relationships or looking for relationships to satisfy a lot of holes in their heart. Last week was, was last week Mother's Day? Well, yeah. And Father's Day is coming up. I talked about the family. I'll probably talk about the family again. There's a lot of young girls looking for something in a wrong place because of some bad decisions some parents have made or some absent families. There's a lot of boys looking for relationships to solve some problems that can't be solved by relationships other than a relationship with Christ. This this world, this country is a mess, church. And our students in these schools are dealing with stuff that no teacher can fix. They're dealing with, with problems that the church can't fix. It's a problem that only the home, unfortunately, can't fix anymore, but should have never caused the problem. And there's no amount of government money, there's no great teacher that can fix the problem that's in our public schools today. You say, what's that got to do with it? I don't know, but there it is and we're blowing uncle sam's wad trying to fix a problem that's a spiritual problem that's a biblical problem that the family should have fixed or not allowed to happen and what's what's the fix i don't know but i know it ain't throwing money at it i know it's also i, I, I have to stop there because it's recorded but i'll stop here's what i know god's will is seek him Seek His will, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Is a mouthful. I know, as a child, uh, even in Sunday school and Bible school, and when we were um, forced into memorizing scripture for a certificate, quite often Matthew six thirty three was one of those verses, and then the whole book of Third John. You know, sometimes for nothing, not even an ice cream. It was, Somehow that was good for us. I thought that was funny, but it wasn't. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean? Seek his will for your life. The the phrase, the kingdom of God, is is a mouthful theologically that this is his sovereign kingdom. He's ruling and reigning. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I believe it's very clear in Scripture that God's will for your life, for every person's life, is salvation. Seek His will. His will is salvation, His will is also sanctification. And we see that right here in this passage. Seek His kingdom and seek His righteousness. It's unfortunate. That today in a Baptist church, you could say, as a pastor, I didn't say it's happening here, I didn't say it just happened, everybody wait, but in a Baptist church, a Baptist preacher can get up and say, it's God's will that every person be born again, and there'll be people that disagree with that. But I believe scripture is clear that God's will is for every person to know him in a personal way. I think it's understood. It has to be clear, when I say, and use as my text, God's will is salvation, God's will is for you to seek him, does not mean that you can somehow find God and make him save you. That is not what I said. If we want to be contextual, Jesus is talking in Matthew 6 to followers of him, and he's saying, continuously seek me. I, I, think, I think what he said is, wherever I go, you go. And I think there was a crowd that followed him. Where are you going? I don't know. Wherever he goes. Well, what if he goes here? Well, that's where I'm going. Because I'm seeking him. I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna go where he goes. Do I need to go to the next point? Do I need to make the, the inference was there? Wherever he goes, believer, you're supposed to go. We're with him, we're following him. Somebody, hey, where are you going? I don't know. Wherever he goes. Well, what if he goes somewhere you don't want to go? If he's Lord of my life, he's not going to go anywhere I don't want to go. He might go somewhere I'm uncomfortable going, but he's not going to go anywhere I shouldn't go. Follow him. The Bible is clear in Romans chapter three that there's none who seek after God. So I am not saying that someone goes to God, knocks on his door and says, save me. I didn't say that. None that seek after God, Romans 3. None righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seek him. So I'm not talking about theologically going and making God save you. And I, I, know, I know some authors who have written some very good, best-selling books, and I'm not saying they're lost. And be, people have different paths to get to God or God uses circumstances to save people. I understand that. And I'm not right here to question someone's salvation but I'm telling you scripture doesn't contradict itself and we're born unrighteous. We're born sinful. We're born at enmity with God and nobody's going looking for God in their sinful natural state. However, a believer who has made Christ Lord of their life should continuously seek after God. That's the text. We should seek him and seek his salvation. God's will is salvation 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some consider slackness, but he's long-suffering, he's patient toward us. It's the goodness of God that leads a man to salvation. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Does that mean everybody's gonna be saved? No. But it means God's will is for the world to know him through his son. God forbid that anybody gets so theologically professor-like that they want to out-explain that and talk somebody out of being saved. Some of you look at me like, that's right, and some of you look like, what's he talking about? Just don't do it. Preach that God loves the world. And he gave his son for the sins of the world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Preach the the word of God that says that he's not willing that any should perish. Die without hope is the word perish. But to come to repentance and leave the results up to God. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. It's a little tender to my heart Do we wanna somehow explain away God's will of salvation. And I'm not saying everybody's trying to do that. But there's a group that spends more time trying to figure it out than they are telling people that God wants them to be saved. Teach people, Romans ten thirteen that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And don't second guess their call. Pray for them, disciple them. Little Billy, 10 years old, he called on the name of the Lord, he trusted Jesus as a Savior. Well, pray for Billy, baptize Billy when he makes a profession. Put him in front of church and say, hey, pray for Billy. And then put Billy in, the, in front of some Bible study and invest in Billy's life and let God take care of the consequences. God's will is salvation. God's will is also sanctification. And for you theologians, I know that salvation is the positional form of sanctification. But it's not the end. It's only the beginning. And I got saved I didn't know up from down, biblically. I might not have known up from down physically. But because some people invested, didn't know it, I began to be sanctified, right? I'd be discipled to grow closer and closer to Jesus, to be separated from this world. Yes, there's positional sanctification. When you get saved and don't know anything other than God loves you and he sent Jesus to die for your sins and you accepted his price of salvation, paying for your sins, and you're born again, you were saved positionally. And if you died, you're going to meet Jesus and live with him forever. You had a new destination in life. Old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. Positionally, you were saved. But God's will continues on that we are continually saved, sanctified, become more like him. Um, And I I get into this and I start thinking of all the, the false teachings I've heard in my life. Then people wonder who I'm talking about and then they get all bitter. There's some people who have been saved positionally, but some false teaching, how should I say this? Some false teaching um, deterred them from continuing in their faith. I, I come to the realization we're all messed up, we're all born into sin, we're all of our father, the devil. when we're born. None of us were righteous. No, not one. None of us were seeking God. No, not one. But when we got saved positionally, our life changed. But that didn't mean we woke up the next day like Jesus. If that were the case, then the rest of scripture wouldn't be necessary. No, we're to grow, Peter said, in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're to look into the mirror of God's word and make the necessary changes so that we become more like him. So that the more we change, the more we look, the more Jesus-like we look. But I know for a fact there's been some people, and do not it's between them and God whether they really got saved or not, but they got so beat over the head Because they were still struggling with some things that they gave up. Well, if you really got saved, fill in the blank. Nah, my first ever solo at this church went platinum. (laughs) In my prepubescent voice. There really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Y'all know this one, sing along. Don't judge me yet, there's a unfinished part. But I'll, future tense, be perfect, justified, glorified eventually, just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hand. Why? Because he's still working on me. Why do we sing that song? Why do we teach children that song? If once you get saved, you're perfect. No. No. We still need each other. We still need church. We still need Bible study. We still need small groups. We still need youth pastors investing in the, t- in the kids. We still need children's directors, children's workers investing in the kids who make a decision and not say, "Well, you got your ticket, go on, have fun. No, his will is sanctification, that we grow and become more and more like him. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and seek his righteousness, become more like him. It means to pursue righteousness, pursue holiness. Do you hear the word pursue? Which indicates you're not there. That's that's our job. That's our goal in life as a believer is to become more like him. God's will is salvation. His will is sanctification. We're going to seek his will. And one way that we find his will and become more like him is to seek his word. I wrote in my notes to grow and to know. Peter said we can grow in grace and knowledge. Psalm 119, 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. That's growing. That's growing. That's growing. I I joked a little while ago and it went over some of you and some of you didn't know if I was serious or not. I said we had to memorize 3 John and things like that. It didn't didn't work. Why did we do that? Well, it did work whether we knew it or not. I was the most bitter kid in town when I memorized the whole Beatitudes. We have gotten so soft today. Dude, we shortened Jesus Wept. Like this week we're going to learn Jesus. Next week we're going to put it together with Jesus, Jesus Wept and, um, and you're going to get to go to the Iwana store, don't get bitter, and buy $1,000 worth of toys. Good job. Did we memorize the Beatitudes, which is half of the book of John if you're a 10-year-old. You know what we got? Mom had half beat us to death. You're going to learn that you're not going to embarrass me in front of the church. <laughs> then, they got, then they got real special. And they gave us these little um, Aladdin trophies. Anybody got your Aladdin trophies? It was Aladdin's lamp. I've got them. I own mine still to this day. Taking them to heaven with me. I'm going to line them up in my casket. <laughs> They're going to be on the inside liner of my casket lid. Then <laughs> we got a piece of paper and an Aladdin's lamp for memorizing half of the Gospel of John. (laughs) And today they learn a verse and they get to go shopping (laughs) for free. Did it matter? You bet it mattered. Hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. And those verses that we had to memorize and were whipped into memorizing and the verses that we in Awanas give them prizes for memorizing today they still act like the devil out in the hallways, but it matters because they're hiding God's word in their heart. And God will not let his word return void. And someday it'll matter. Parents, someday it'll matter. Train them up in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. They may act like they've departed from it, they might get arrested, but the word of God will not return void. It's planted. To know and to grow. To know what? Where to go? When to go? We grow in knowledge and we can know. How do I know? Here, here's, the real, here's what people want to know. And I, you've heard people say that. Well, I, was, I really wanted to know where I should go to school. I would just opened my Bible one day and it fell on this page and it looked like I saw Appalachian State. It was like, it didn't. It said, it, it said appointed, but I saw app and I, it had to be it. Now you you think that's a joke? I didn't. I just came up with that, but that happens. I married a guy named Jason. I didn't know why, but I opened up. I didn't know there was a man named Jason in the Bible, but I opened up one day and there it was. God must have told him. Well, Jason's a serial killer, and <laughs> God didn't say that. I just thought Jason, like and eh, Jason, but not, I wasn't thinking that. Yeah, that worked. Now, how about this? How about the one that we had to memorize, and maybe you know now? Um, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Maybe, maybe having God's word in our hearts and allowing God's word to be a light and a lamp will shine a little light on the direction we're supposed to go. That's not just for high schoolers, that's for adults. Should I take that job? Is this of God? Is this not of God? Not that we're going to flip it open and say, God, let it fall on the page that tells me. I mean, you can do that. That's between you and him. Just don't tell anybody you did it because we'll think different of you. But, <laughs> no, but just, just allow it to shine, which means we're studying it, which means we're reading It doesn't mean we're going to run into the verse that says, yes, take the job. It means that God's going to speak through his word and through his Holy Spirit and give peace. About decisions that are made, I, I did our I had our first podcast this week, uh, and um, the Impact podcast. And I know I forgot about that earlier, Tim. And I, I interviewed uh, Pastor Curtis Parker. He's my first podcaster. We're gonna it's going to be released Friday. We said Friday. Uh, hey, look at that! I did forget, but we did that. You'll be able to download it, and I can't forget uh, what I'm trying to say. And one of the, com- it was an hour and 45 minutes uh, conversation, which we intended to, and to break it down in a couple parts, so it won't be an hour and 45 minute podcast. And uh, when it comes out, to- you can already go and subscribe to it, by the way, if you're a podcaster. Um, every month we plan to do one and interview different people. And then our conversations, which covered a lot, and part of the reason he'll be 80 years old next month. Um, He's obviously made an impact in the life of this church and in my life and many other people, so we wanted to do that. But uh, the conversation was fun. He enjoyed it. But one part of the conversation, uh, thinking about thy word being a light into my path and and how the word of God and the spirit of God can shed light on decisions and help you. Because people want to know. I don't know this is the right decision or not. One thing that we talked about that kind of applies here is how you knew, especially for pastors, people in full-time ministry, we live in a messed up world and people are mean and people are, even in the church. And um, I, I remember you used to have to oftentimes answer, well, how you know God called you to the ministry? I'm going to be quite honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm usually pretty transparent. Most people want to know that because many of the pastors never had a real job and couldn't do a real job if they had to and they just went into ministry because they thought be, they could be lazy and do it. Um, I love what I do and I'm called to do what I'm doing, but if I couldn't do it tomorrow, I could work and make a living. And, um, that's just my personal opinion. I think some people just try to fall into it because when I grow up, I don't want to do anything right. And so that looks like a, that looks like a good job once a week, make pretty good. They always seem to have fancy cars, you know, Honda Accords pretty fancy. So, um, doing the good. I was in a meeting, we had a Sunday school teacher meeting one time. I've been on staff here 17 years now, so this is within the last 17 years. I was the youth pastor, minister of education, and I was in a meeting, and this man who didn't like me personally, I, I just know he didn't like me, he's with Jesus now, I hope, but he didn't like me, and um, he, he thought that was the right time to ask a question in front of everybody. Some, some people in this room were probably here. And um, probably didn't mean anything to you because you were bored, didn't want to be at the meeting anyway. But I was leading the meeting and it kind of upset me. And I'd like to have drop kicked him, but I didn't because <laughs> that wouldn't be a good thing for a pastor to do and keep his job. And he raised his hand and, and it was so awkward. And he said, How do you know you're called of God into full time ministry? I thought, Well, you should have been on the, the search committee or on the um, ordination committee to ask that question, but you weren't probably because you're not fit for it. But I didn't say all that. And I thought, you know, this is I could probably say that's not the right time, let's have lunch, but I didn't want to spend time with lunch with this man or any other time, quite honestly. And my shooting from the hip reaction was this. Knowing that there would not be peace doing anything else other than what God had called you to do. Doesn't mean I couldn't do something else. That's not just a pastoral world answer. This is an answer for people in life. Knowing that I would not have peace with God doing anything other than what he's called me to do. There's a lot of people. Y'all listening? There's a lot of adults working jobs right now that they don't have peace. Doing things they don't have peace for, for the wrong reason. I know, didn't expect any amens. But when you're doing what God's called you to do, he provides peace. And many times the peace comes from a relationship with his word where he's shining light on the direction in your life. Seek God's word. Seek God's will. I knew I wouldn't get through it all, but that's fine. You don't know there's more until I just told you. I would like to say that in all of my Christian life, I have sought God's will for my life and I let the word of God shine on the dark path and I followed it every way. But I would be a liar if I told you that. But I've got examples in my life that we don't have time to share, all of them, to where when I, you fill yourself in this blank here, when I was in tune with God, And I was spiritually where I ought to be, studying his word, having a relationship with his word, allowing the light to shine, that he directed my path. I'm going to tie this in together because verse 33 says, when we seek him first, remember verse 24, no man can serve two masters. You can't. He didn't say some people have worked it out. No man can serve two masters. You can only love one master. And that's point number two about service and it's due loss, bond slave. But that's maybe never. No man can serve two masters. But when you're serving one master and the only master that matters and you seek him first and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. Yes. If some, some Bibles will say... Um, Something about God's answer for stress. Some captions. Because that's usually how this passage is used. And I'll just say it this way there's some things you can eliminate as a Christian, your worry life. You can eliminate. We all have a worry life, right? Not me. I am so in tune with God. I never worry about a thing. I let tomorrow take care of tomorrow. Good for you. We all want to be you one day when we grow up. So, but. You got some things you you worry about, things you think about. I know you don't worry because that's of the devil, but you think about them heavily. (laughs) There are some things you don't have to worry about as a believer who has one master and you're serving him and you're continuously seeking him. That's what you wear. Some wives need to hear that right now. (laughs) I just don't know what to wear. Okay, you don't have to worry about your eat, about your drink about what you wear. You don't have to worry about necessities. If you're a child of God, I'm not going to stop there, and you're consistently seeking him. He said, all these things, food, drink, what you wear, will be added unto you. Is that that what it says? I know what time it is, but is that what it says? I need to know that I didn't make that up or get it out of some other version because I believe that's exactly what it says. The psalmist said, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen them begging for bread. If you have one master and you're serving him, he will supply your needs And he may supply them like we supply the needs of the birds. No birds going nine to five, but I got two bird feeders out there. I put it out for them. Y'all get that? If we're seeking God and serving our master, he'll take care of us. And it might be from somebody else throwing out some bird seed. But he'll take care of his people. Who are seeking him first. A lot of examples, a time I'll never forget, an example, an illustration I'll never forget. And it's just a motivation for me and for hopefully somebody who needs something that only God can provide. I'd like to. I'm not going to ask you, but I'd like to see a show of hands to make sure this is worth saying. But I'm going to assume there's people who need God to meet to meet some to to supply some needs. You're at a you're at a crossroads. You you're at wit's end. You're whatever you want to call it, and you need God to do something. When we seek Him first. And we're searching his will for our life. And we're growing the way he's asked us to grow. And we're following him. And he's master. He not only meets our everyday necessities, but he he meets some needs that go beyond food, water, and clothes. Things that are still needs. Not the Corvette, not the new Toyota Tundra, He meets some needs. I went to the world's most exciting university. Y'all know what that is, right? Liberty University. They called it that. I didn't know why, but it was. I didn't know why. That was a joke too, but y'all are done. So I went to Liberty. I went four years there. I actually went three and a half because I'm smart and I finished. No, I finished three and a half because I spent two, I did two classes at Harvard on the highway. Y'all know where that's at, right? <laughs> Roy and Cabarrus, Harvard on the highway. So uh, that and a couple other things got me, out, got me out half a semester early. I went to Liberty University in 1993, and um, the tuition then was $12,500 a year. Today, it's about 32 minimal. It might as well have been 32 million then, because I didn't have either. Had no, not didn't have two dollars saved for college. Graduated high school, got nothing. You're like, what can I get for chapstick? I mean, can I get a book? Don't know what. Um, I did a stint at Rowan-Cabarrus, which was it's just fun to talk about because I I never went to class, but it did help because I got credit. I did the work, I just didn't go to class. I did go to class, but usually my friend came by and said, hey, you wanna go to lunch? I said, yeah, so we went to lunch. and I did the same with his classes, but anyway, it worked out. Learned a lot, learned a lot. <laughs> um, in March of 93, had, I had done a stint in my post-high school education there. And I knew God, I knew, I knew from an early teenage years, God wanted me to do something a little special and um, never really dealt with it much. But anyway, long story short, 93 March, I had been praying, I had been talking to a lot of people and I, what us old school people called surrendered to serve him full time. Now I gotta say this because I wouldn't sleep tonight if I didn't say this. That's one of the problems in the American church today is we think only preachers submit to serving God full time. No, God's plan is for all Christians to serve him full time. I mean that. I don't say, I'm not one of these going, well, I'm a pastor and you're just, no, no, mm-mm. No, I said it from day one, I'll keep saying it. Every teacher in a classroom that's born again is called by God to serve him full time. Every person with a, with a secular job is called by God to serve him full time. I didn't have a dollar. Honest before the Lord, I did not know Liberty University existed in March of 1993. I'd never heard of it in my life. Um, we weren't one at my house to be watching the old time gospel hour much. But um, but I was serious And I told God quite famously, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I did, I did parenthetically in my prayer say, but please don't send me anywhere with snakes. I really did say that to God. Because I always heard missionaries and stuff, I was like, I'll do anything, but I don't want to go somewhere where there's snakes. I just don't want to do it. I don't even want to go to the woods in Rowan County. Don't send me there because I don't like snakes. But I was that serious that I really, honest to God, I was so serious. I was like, I'll do whatever, and I was thinking it might be missions, it might be go somewhere, but please don't send me somewhere like that. And an array of events took place to where, I could tell, make this story more fun, but I won't. Um, Did not know liberty existed God worked out, met necessities to where I ended up, I never applied for Liberty University. I never filled out an application, which things were different then than they are now. If you had a pulse and $20, it'd just about take you then. Well, I had a pulse, but we didn't have $20. So they would have expected more than $20 later, and we, that would have been a mess. I don't know if you can get like, repossessed as a person at school, but they would have done something like that. Um, I ended up on the phone in the financial aid department with a guy hours after I found out Liberty University existed. And I tell the guy, I mean, you talk, that's a bad conversation. I'm like, dude, I don't even know why I'm calling. I ain't got no money. And um, he said, what are you you planning on doing? I said, well, I plan to go into ministry full time. He said, well, hold on, such and such. Long story. He calls me back on the phone and he says, "We have a B.R. Lakin Reli- School of Religion scholarship that just recently took place, and we can offer you I had to do it was right at 10,000 dollars a year from this scholarship. Tuition was 125. I was still 25 short, but it at least got me going. And I ended up getting a scholarship to a place to go that I didn't know existed. You say, well, that's, that's circumstantial, or that's happenstance, that's coincidence. You can believe that if you want, but I submitted myself to him, and I said, I'll do what you want me to do, wherever you want me to do it, with a little exception, just in case. And God supplied my needs. I could tell you four little bullet points before I got the phone call that would prove to you that it wasn't something that just happened. God wants to meet our needs, but he wants us to be tight with him. He expects us to seek him, to follow him, to seek his will. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.